Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come, just as you are before your God. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains for those who gladly choose you now. Time to worry. Y'all keep singing. (laughs) Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come. Just as you are to worship, come, just as you are before your God, come. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus coming forward to receive our morning offering. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. Lord, we just thank you for the worship. And we just thank you for everything that you've done for us, Lord. And we're thankful for this Lord as we had Thanksgiving, Lord. And we just thank you once again for your son being sent to die on the cross for us. Lord, I pray for our church, Lord. I just I pray, Lord, that you take this offering, Lord, that we're, we're about to receive.
As we continue to worship, would you stand, choir? This right here may go down in history as being one of my favorite contemporary worship songs, uh, the Revelation song. your voices in worship. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy the Lamb who was slain, holy, holy is He. Sing a new song to Him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything and I will adore you. be to you the only wise King. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything and I will adore you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. With 
Forevermore, no way. 
Amen, amen, amen. There you go. I got like three smiles this morning. It's going to be a good day. Thank you, choir and singers. Thank you, Katie, for leading us in worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, the 42nd chapter of the book of Psalms. My hope is in Christ alone. My hope is in Christ alone. And this week we come to a day when we are officially out of the Thanksgiving holiday. We're heading towards Christmas with full force now. You know, you kind of build up, you get to Thanksgiving, and then once, once Thanksgiving is over, you're, you're heading headlong into the Christmas season. Many of you spent Friday and Saturday shopping in preparation of heading headlong into this Christmas season and how the holiday is coming and how you're going to get it all done before that day gets here and how we're going to get everywhere we're supposed to be and do everything we're supposed to do and be what we're supposed to be in preparation for this holiday season. Now, I'm not going to get on my soap box about how this wonderful day has become lost in the hustle and bustle of the season. I'm not going to stand up and complain about how we've lost our vision of Christmas and it's become so commercialized with the gift giving and such. I could. I'm pretty passionate about that subject, but I'm not going to this morning. But this morning we are going to look to this holiday. We're going to begin to look towards this holiday uh, all month in December and coming out of Thanksgiving. And I think that what we're going to be looking at in this season is, is what really they would have been looking at in the Old Testament times heading into the New Testament times. You know, they had been silence from the end of the Old Testament to, to Jesus' birth, and they had all looked forward. The prophets had prophesied about a Messiah that was to come. They had looked forward to a Messiah that was to come. They had had all of those things built up and built up and built up and built up. And so I would say that for them, for the Messiah to be born, if I could sum it up in one word for them, I believe that what they would have said is that the coming Messiah would bring them hope. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, is that we too, as we build into this Christmas season, that we would recognize that along with the celebration of the birth of a Savior comes a recognition that as His people, we have hope. That we have a hope. You know, the, the, one of the songs that we, we sang, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I think about a, another verse in another song, it says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And as his people, we can celebrate Christmas in a different way because of the hope that comes from that important baby born on that Christmas day. And so we're going to look at hope this morning in Christ alone. And so we kick off this season looking forward to Christmas Day. We're going to see that our hope really is in Christ alone. So please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of the holy words of our holy God from the book of Psalm, chapter 42. 
to the chief musician a contemplation of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is set your Holy Spirit free in our lives right now, Lord God. God, we pray that you would bind any spirit from this place that is not your Holy Spirit, Lord God. We pray that you would escort right out the front door anything that would hinder us from worshiping you in spirit and in truth this morning, Lord God. And we pray that we would all hear a word from you from this wonderful psalm, Lord God. God, you have your way, you have your will in this service, Lord, and we will give you the praise, we will give you your honor, and we will give you the glory. God, be glorified this morning. It's in your precious name that we pray, as all God's children said, and you may be seated. Now, Psalm 42 typically would be a psalm that, that we would perhaps visit as much to talk about spiritual depression as we would to talk about hope. I mean, externally speaking, if you look at the circumstances of David as he pens this psalm, it's quite oppressing. Verse 3, it says that his enemies mock him. Verse 10, it says that they reproach him, and he almost feels like his enemies bearing down on him. It is breaking his bones even, it says. It's like a physical attack the way he's being reproached by his enemies. The, the taunt of his enemies is they go, where is your God? Where is your God, David? The enemies mock him and they taunt him and they go at him. And that would show us that, that if his enemies were saying these things to him, there were things going on in David's life. Things, the situation in David's life had gotten to the point that it looked bad and his enemies were able to say, well, where is your God? If things were going good in David's life, his enemies wouldn't have been able to taunt him that way. Things are not going well in David's life. His enemies say, your God is not all he's cracked up to be, David. Your God must not be all that you say he is. Your God must not be as faithful as you pretend that he is, David. Your things are bad. Your situation is bad. 
Verse 5 and 11, David says that he is disquieted. Some translations would say that he's in turmoil. And verse 3 says that he has cried day and night so much that his tears have become like his food. Verse 7 says that the waves have overcome him. I read that verse 7 like the waves have overcome him. I'm reminded of, of, of my children when we go to the beach. Have you ever seen a young child in the ocean when the waves start to get up and every time they stand up another wave comes in and just smacks them down and then about the time they get up another wave just comes in and just crushes them down as the waves just cast over. And that's the way David felt as he penned the words of this psalm is that every time I seem to get my head back up out of the water, another wave rushes in over me. Every time I start to feel like I'm about to take a step forward, the ocean comes and just, and just rushes me back. The ocean of despair and turmoil and my enemies, they come and they just overcome me over and over and over again. And no matter how many times I get up again, it just seems that I get washed back again. And so we look at this psalm and as depressing and as downtrodden as it could seem to look at David's situation. We're going to look that there's a common theme for David throughout this psalm. There's a common theme in his life that he clings to and that is the hope that he finds in Christ alone. The hope that he finds in God and God alone. And my friends, many of you came in here this morning facing situations, facing trials, facing depressions, perhaps facing anxieties, facing things in your life where you feel like every time you get your head up, another wave just crashes over you. And so my friends, I want you too to look to this common theme as David the psalmist writes this morning and realize that your hope is in Christ alone. Your hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. First, we're going to look at the heading real quick. Now, a lot of people glance over the headings in the Psalms. And the heading is that little group of words before verse 1. And Miss Loretta, you probably don't have those up there. That's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what they say. If you have your Bibles open, then look at them. And it's going to say something like, To the chief musician, a mascal of the sons of Korah, or a contemplation of the sons of Korah. They're usually in italics or, or maybe a little subheading above verse 1. And what we see is that these words of David are written to the chief musician, the sons of Korah. Now the sons of Korah, just so you guys understand who this is written to, the sons of Korah were a set of priests that were charged with the ministry of singing. That's who the sons of Korah. If you look in 2 Chronicles 20, 19, you'll see them in action. It says the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So the sons of Korah, the Korahites, they were the first music ministers, we could say. They were the first music leaders. We can tell that it says they sang with a loud voice as they led the praises to the God of Israel. And we all know that worship pastors like attention, so that's why they wave their arms and sing so loudly. Next time you want to look at one and say, why is he doing this to gain so much attention? Just realize it's not his fault. He's a son of Korah. He's doing what God created him to do. They were meant to usher in the worship and minister in the worship and lead the praises in the form of song. 
And so the heading tells us that David pins this psalm and his intention for this psalm is not for it to be read poetically but for it to be sang in a corporate worship setting to be led by the music pastors. And so he means for this to be lifted up in song. Now that word for contemplation, this is a contemplation or a maskal of the sons of Korah. That Hebrew word maskal has absolutely no translationary meaning. We don't have a word in our English. There's not been a word in the Greek. There's never been a word since the Hebrew that meant exactly what maskal meant. But it comes from a verb that means to instruct or to make someone wise. And so put all that together. I think this is important. Put all that together and what we can gather is that David's intention was that we would sing this 42nd psalm in a corporate worship, that we would sing it together and that it would be meant to instruct us about something as we sang it. That we wouldn't just sing the words as a professional piece. We wouldn't just sing the words as something special. That we would sing the words in such a fashion that we would feel God as we sang. Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit as you sang a song? That's what David intends for us to do in the 42nd Psalm, that the words would penetrate our lives and our souls and our beings and that we would literally feel from God as we sang it and be instructed and learn. And so that's what we're going to try to do this morning is hear as David pens these words and feel from the Holy Spirit as we heed the instructions that we can gather from the psalm. So we're going to look at six things, six things that the psalmist does as he responds to his depressed or discouraged state of mind. Now I know that some of you just now looked at your clock and said, this guy normally preaches a 30-minute three-point sermon. What are we in for with six points? All right, calm down. Calm down. I called Peking. They're going to keep the buffet out long. You'll be fine, okay? They're going to be just fine. But we're going to look at six things that the psalmist says to us as he looks at his depressed state of mind. Now, they're not going to be so much in uh, literary order, 1 through 11. Miss Loretta, you're going to have to be on your toes this morning, honey. I'm sorry. They're going to bounce a little bit. But I'm going to instead present them as, as when I read the psalm, how do I think David felt these emotions? How, did I, how do I feel like they went in the order uh, of where he felt them before he penned this song? And the first thing that we're going to look at, we find in verse 9. And we see that the first thing that David does is he asks God why. He asks God why. He looks around at his circumstances and he says, I will say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? God, why have you forgotten me? Now, we know, based on King David's life and his history and his story, that that word for forgotten, you know, God, why have you forgotten me? That's kind of an overstatement of David's emotions. You look in verse 8 and he talks about God's steadfast love. He understands that God hadn't really forgotten him. He understands that theologically speaking, David doesn't have a poor understanding of the sovereignty of God. He doesn't really think that he's been left behind. He doesn't really think that God has moved on and forgotten him. But, but when he puts that, it doesn't change the fact that he feels like, he, he feels like, and it looks like to the enemies that God has forgotten David. David feels that way as he sits in this state of mind. 
It looks that way from the outside looking in that God has moved on and removed his favor from him. He's saying, if God hasn't forgotten me, why are my enemies not driven back? Why are my enemies not oppressing, you know, going back? I'm under their oppression. Why do I have to go to mourning every day because of what they're doing to me? If God hasn't forgotten me, why doesn't he deliver my enemies? Why doesn't he crush them? Why do they continue to mock me? God has consumed our enemies before. Why does he not consume them now? Now, it would be nice if we were all careful and composed and calm when things went bad, wouldn't it? When we're in a state of depression, where we're in a state that it feels like the waves are crashing in around me, it would be nice if we never said things out of a loss of emotion or a loss of control. But David finds himself here in a place that many of us have found ourselves before, saying, God, why? Why am I enduring this, God? Why am I walking through this? God, have you forgotten me? God, do you not care about me anymore? And I've had people ask me before. They come and they're well-intentioned people. They're good, godly people who know the Lord. They trust in His sovereignty. And they come into my office and they say, Brother Jason... I don't know what to do. I feel like my faith is weak because I've asked God why that I'm walking through this valley. I've asked God why am I enduring this. And Brother Jason, I know that God is a good God. Scripture tells me that he's a good God. And that he works things together for good for those who love him. And I believe in God, but I don't understand why I feel this way and my faith must be weak. My friends... I think we can look to Job 6.26. He says that the speech of a despairing man are words in the wind. And I think we can take that truth and look at David's truth in here and, and look at our own lives and realize that sometimes when you're in a state of despair and your state of mind is one that's discouraged and depressed, sometimes you're going to say things that are not theologically correct and perfect. But if you prove in time to be like David in this moment that you're faithful to God and that you understand that God is sovereign, sometimes those words that we said in despair, they're like words in the wind. Literally means they just blow away like the passing reeds. And so the first thing we see from David is that he asks, why? Many of you have been in that place or you're there now. You're, you're looking at your circumstances. You're saying to your troubled soul why why is this going on many of you felt bad about asking that question you don't know why that you're even questioning these things be encouraged be encouraged the psalmist asked job said these words are like words in the wind and for all of us believers who have ever been on the side where we hear from a person who's deep in despair can I just tell you that probably the absolute worst advice that you can give, the worst counsel that you can give to someone who's walking through a valley is to tell them, don't question God. Don't ask why. Don't wonder what's going on. Instead, won't you go and put your arm around them and say, hey, it's okay. 
know that God is in control and God is sovereign, but I'm going to hold your hand while we go through this storm. And I'm going to understand that sometimes these words of despair, they're just words in the wind. David's going to prove that he understood theologically. Look with me at the next thing that David sees. It comes from verse 8. We see that David affirms the sovereign love of God. Notice he asked God, why have you forgotten me? But then he almost goes back and he kind of affirms that he understands that God's love is sovereign. Verse 8 says, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. In verses 5 and 11, God is called his hope. God is called his salvation. He says he is my God. He's saying he is my Lord when he says that. And so in verse 9, when he says that God has forgotten him, we realize that David never stopped really believing that God loved him. He never stopped really believing that God was in control. He was just in a state of despair. In verse 7, when it says the waves and billows and crash over me and the tumultuous circumstances encompass me, we see in verse 8 that even though he was walking through that, David said, even though these things come upon me, even though they slay me, even though they knock me down, even though they hurt me, even though they cause my despair, even though I feel depressed, even though it looks like God has removed his hand from me, I understand that God's love has not failed me. God's love is not gone anywhere. God's love is everlasting. It continues forever and ever and ever. I understand and I trust that God is on the throne. And I think what we see in verse 8 is something that many of you have learned and some of, something that some of you are learning right now. Is that David is experiencing the realization that anybody can have a strong faith when nothing is wrong. Anybody. Can, can sing from the mountaintops the majesty of God when nothing has ever went wrong. But in those valleys, when it looks like perhaps God has forgotten you from the outside, when it feels like in your soul that perhaps God has removed his hand from you, in those times of storms and valleys, those are the times... When faith is put to the test, my friends. Those are the times when you have to realize I've got nothing to cling to but Christ alone. And those are the times where your faith is improved and your faith is tested and your faith is strengthened. And you learn that on your knees is where you make your stand. That turning to God is all you got. And that's when you learn to depend on him. And that's when you learn that his loving kindness is never ending. It's when you realize that he didn't leave you when you were in that storm, when you were in that valley, when things seemed to unravel. That's where we learn who God really is. It's when things fall apart. So the first thing we see is that David asks why. The second thing we see is that he affirmed the sovereign love of God. The third thing we're going to see is that David began to sing. We're going to stay in verse 8. It says, his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. You know, a lot of times when we talk about singing, particularly when we talk about singing in the church, 
We talk about singing a joyous song. Even last week in the message, we talked about making a joyful noise and a shout and a loud voice and all of those things. And too often when we talk about singing, we only talk about singing as a song of jubilee and a song of joy and a shout to the mountaintops of how good everything is. But I believe as David sings Psalm 42, he's not singing a fake song of jubilant hope. He's not putting on a smile to fake it till he makes it. He's not pretending that things are not what they are. In fact, Throughout Psalm 42, David never reaches a place of jubilee. He's looking for a place of jubilee. He never reaches a place of joy in Psalm 42. He's looking to a place of joy. But what he says he's going to do is he's going to continue to sing to his God in that valley. He's going to continue to sing about what he's experiencing. And it's not necessarily the song of jubilee, but it's more a song of pleading to God, isn't it amazing that in the midst of the storm, David sank? I believe that this psalm may very well be written of the words that came to David in the night as he had nothing to cling to but God. And he began to cry out, as the deer pants for the water, my soul longs for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, my living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food, God. I believe that these are the words that David cried out, the song that he said that was given to him at night. So we see that David sings. Next we're going to see that David preaches to himself in his time of discouragement. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Why are you cast down, soul? Why do you feel this way, soul? David, why are you so depressed? Why do you feel this way? Why are you downtrodden? David, why, why, why do you feel this way? Your hope is in God. You're going to praise him again. It's going to come. Your praise will ever be on my lips again, God. I know that my hope is in you. So why do I feel this way, God? And David, I feel like he's learning a crucial lesson that we could all learn. That we need to learn to preach the truth of God to ourselves in times of turmoil. We need to be able to look inside of ourselves and preach to ourselves the love and kindness and mercies of God. And we've got to be able to know our God and know our scriptures and preach these things to us in these times of turmoil. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, that most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we spend more time listening to ourselves than talking to ourselves. David here had the potential to get caught up in the things that were crashing over him every single day. He had the potential to tell himself the things that were depressing him as they washed back over him every single day. And if he had of Spent all the time listening to himself. He never would have taken the time to tell himself, David, why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted within yourself? 
David, hope in your God. The one who has delivered you time and time again. What is our greatest source of hope? Well, for all of us, our greatest source of hope is the cross of Jesus Christ. Crucified for our sins. And in a tomb that was empty. As Jesus defeated death. And went to sit with the Father. And that he's coming back again. How do we know he's coming back again? Because he said he was coming back again. How do we know that God will be faithful to do what he said he was going to do? Because God has always been faithful. And done what he said he was going to do. Our hope is found in a bloody cross, in an empty tomb, and in a promise that he's coming back again. And so in the midst of turmoil, when things seem to be as bad as they can get, you ask God why. And then you affirm his sovereign love. And then you sing a song. And then you preach the gospel to yourself. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You preach something to yourself like this. If God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for me. How will he not also graciously give me all things? Who shall separate me? From the love of Christ. Preach something like that. Romans chapter 8. Who can separate me from Christ? Nothing can separate me from his love. In the midst of our storms, we have to learn to preach to ourselves a little bit. Look at verse 4 with me. As we see something else David does as he preaches to himself, he recalls some past experiences. Verse 4 says, For I used to go with the multitudes. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim's feast. David's talking about going to church right there. He's talking about a corporate worship service. He's talking about going to the temple to worship his living God. Now, I could stand here and talk a long time about the importance of of coming to corporate worship. I could stand here and talk all day about how important it is to come and fellowship with other believers and praise your God and to not just come and be in attendance, but to come and be in worship. This thing that we're doing this morning, it's not just something that we decided to do so that we could check our box of things I did for God this week. When we come into church, it is a real experience of worshiping a living God. It is an interaction with a living God. It is a joy of feeling the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is a pleasure that the believers get to take part in to fellowship with each other. And in the midst of our turmoils and in the midst of when we feel our darkest the true experiences of worship are what we're going to be able to recall. When things get as bad as they feel like they could be, do you know you're not going to remember that Sunday that you just went to church because you felt like you had to? 
You're going to remember that Sunday that you worshiped God with fellow believers. You're not going to remember that time that you got up and had to iron a different shirt because the one you had was stained because when you brushed your teeth, your toothbrush had too much toothpaste on it. Not that it's ever happened to me. But you are going to remember those times that you strolled through that door and the Holy Spirit of God came over you in such a fashion that you just had to lift up your holy praises to Him. Those are the things that you've got to cling to when things are tumultuous in your life. That's what David is thinking about as he's recalling his past experiences. So my question to you is this. How many of those experiences do you have to cling to? Because you have an opportunity for one this morning. It's not too late to surrender yourself to him this morning. It's not too late. We should never take the assembly here at this house lightly. We should always recognize that it is a transaction with the living God that we get to come and worship him corporately. And finally this morning, as David goes through all of his tumultuous situation, as he goes through all of his discouragement, as he endures all of his despair, I think the last thing we see that he comes to is he recognizes his thirst for God. Verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, David says. Now I want you to notice what it doesn't say. David doesn't write, as the deer pants for the water brooks, I yearn for my bad situations to be removed from me. He doesn't say, as the deer pants for the water, I yearn for my enemies to be driven back and to leave me alone. He doesn't say, as the deer pants, I yearn for everything to be hunky-dory in my life again. David says, as the deer pants for the water, I yearn for you, God. I yearn for you, God. Is it wrong to pray for relief? In bad times, no. Is it wrong to pray that your enemies would be defeated? No, not necessarily. But it is considerably more important that we pray and yearn to be near to God himself. God, I don't necessarily care if you remove all my bad circumstances, but I do want to know that you're with me and I want to feel you. God, I want to know that you're God. I want to feel you right here so that I can know that whatever these circumstances are, they pale in comparison to who you are, God. At the end of verse 2, David asks us a question. When shall I come and appear before God? In my opinion, a better translation would be, when shall I see the face of of God. And the answer to that question that David asks is given in John chapter 14, verse 9, when Jesus says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And in 2 Corinthians 4 4, Paul says that when we're saved by Christ, we see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When shall I see the face of God? In my time of despair, I ask, When? Shall I see the, how, how can I see your face, God? 
And we have that answer. It's in Christ Jesus alone that we see the face of God. So in my time of despair, in my time of discouragement, when things seem as bad as they can get, my hope is built in Jesus Christ alone. My hope is in Christ alone. David's in a tough spot. His circumstances seem to be stacked against him. But 2,000 years later, our answer is the same as David's was. Will you put your hope in Christ this morning? As our musicians come, I ask you this question. Where does your help come from? Where does your help come from? Another psalm he would write, I lift my eyes to the hill. From whence does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. So where is your hope this morning? Maybe you're here and you've never put your trust in Christ Jesus. You've never experienced saving faith. You've never put your hope for salvation in Christ Jesus. Would you come this morning and accept him as your Lord and Savior? But maybe you're here and you're a believer and you say, I've been walking through a valley of the shadow of death. It hurts, and I don't know which way's up. It feels like the waves crash in over me. I ask you, where is your hope? Will you come this morning and cast your cares upon the Lord? Let us pray. Father God, God, we have nothing apart from you. So God, in this house this morning, those who are hurting, those who are depressed, those who are dealing with anxieties and worries, those who are downtrodden, who are cast aside, who wonder if you've forgotten them, who have asked, why God, why? God, would you give them the courage and the conviction to come and cast all their hope in you and see your face this morning and rise and sing. And God, if there be someone who's never accepted you as their Savior, who's never felt the hope that only you can bring, God, would you convict their soul and press them this morning. And it's in your precious heavenly name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.